0: you just need a little spiritual guidance to help get your life back together. It can be compared to Mosaic art. Many little pieces that come together to form something beautiful. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Your host is Mosaic Shaman Christy Ellen. Christy and her guests are here to ensure that your life is just as you deserve it to be. Happy. Now here's your host Christy Ellen.
1: Welcome, beautiful beings of light, back to the Mosaic Killing Gardens. This is Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman. I'm so glad you joined me here today, as I feel you're going to be inspired by our conversation. We're going to be talking about having those conversations now, the the tough ones that you have when someone's making a transition and leaving the planet. My question today to you is, are you living your life fully? If you only had six months to live, how would you live it? Would it be different than it is today? These are important questions that I took to heart a few years ago when um, I made the decision to change my life. If I had six months to live, I wouldn't have been living the life that I was living at that time. So I am now. Um, it's also wanted to tell you that it's 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 harvest time here in the gardens. And this ties into this. I have, you know, I've been putting up peaches and tomatoes and zucchini for the winter And this is an art that I told by my friends that is a dying art that was passed down to me by my grandmothers, which I'm very grateful for. And I've actually passed it down to my children. They actually put up fruit and vegetables in the winter too. So this comes back to this topic that we learn so much from those people who came before us. And some of those things like the canning are things that I'm choosing to keep in my life. Some of the things that I am choosing not to keep in my life, or the the fact that we didn't have conversations about certain topics in my home. And one of those topics was about death. We didn't talk about what was going to happen when somebody passed. We pretended that that wasn't something that was going on um, as people left. I just had an experience with my own father in May where he made that transition, and I went to talk to him about how... Because he knew he was going and how we were going to handle the situation. And he chose not to talk about it. He chose not to have a will. And he refused even at the end to discuss it. And so when he made his transition and he died, he left us, myself and my siblings, with this deep pain of dealing with not only his death, but the how is the finances going to be paid, how is the funeral going to be set up? things that weren't necessary for us to handle at that time when we were going through a grief. And it did cause some family contention and some family problems that were not necessary. So when I heard of our guest today, who's Jen Koka, and writing this book about her mother's death through ovarian cancer and how they had these conversations, I was very excited to bring her to the show. So we're going to be talking with her after a break today and about a topic that I find is very important to discuss and... um, you know, it's um, one that I find as I observe the world and look around that people want to avoid. They want to pretend that it's not something that's going to happen. And I, I have a message for you, and that is none of us are getting out of here alive. And when that was told to me a few years back, I understood that we come into the world and we're going to leave it. And that time between our birth and our departure is how we leave those messages to be fine behind what we're doing and how we live our life in that space. Um, it's, it's a matter of filling up time. And so how are you filling up your time and what are you doing? And I decided at that point when I realized that my life was about filling up time, that I wanted to do the best job I could of living an inspiring life, that I wanted to leave a message behind that, that would enlighten other people. And, I remember reading a book um, about Buddha's life and Buddha taught that we have no, to have no attachments to anything, to anything, that everything is going to end. And I remember reading that thinking, okay, everything is going to end, but that's kind of a sad thought. And then he went on to say, then in doing so and understanding this, then you can have a total appreciation for the gift of life, that every moment that you get to spend with those people you're with matter because you know that it is going to be something that is gone Um, I was told once that the past is history and the future is a mystery and the now is the gift and that is why it's called the present right here today how are you living your life today how are you living at this moment um I have had the opportunity to travel to many countries where they celebrate death as if it were this great evolution into something else. Um, I've also seen how they actually live every moment because they're not afraid of, of death. And when we have it out there and we fear it, then we do not live fully in this moment of passion and excitement. It's like living in a bubble and um, I have a little, just a quick little story about that. When I was 29 years old, I had a family reunion I put together. I had four children, and we went to uh, Bear Lake. I had been jet skiing for a dozen years, and I was pretty good at it. I had a stand-up jet ski. And the storm came in on the lake, and these waves came in, and... Um, we took all the the boats off the lake, and the family went inside, and my cousin and I were sitting out watching these waves, and they were beautiful, and we thought, gosh, this is what we, jet skis were made for. How much fun would it be to be out there? And we made a decision, he and I, to take the jet skis out, which it, it made a disturbance in the family. No one thought that was appropriate, and they wanted to remind me I have four children, and I didn't have the right to be irresponsible and go out on these waves, and I didn't listen, and we took the jet skis out anyway. And it was it was a situation that could have been very dangerous. I, I did know what I was doing as a jet skier, but it was a risk. It's the first risk I'd taken in my life. 29 years old, and I was taking my first risk. And as I went over the waves with the jet ski that was six feet high, I felt so alive. And I, I just had this feeling that this was the most amazing thing that had ever happened in my life. And as I came in off the water, my grand uh, my um, grandniece came up to me and she said, Aunt Christy, you're happy. She was 12 years old and she said, you know, I've never seen you happy and you're happy. And from that point on, I started taking risks in my life. I started living in somewhat uncomfortable way, but a way to grow. And it helped me actually take risks in getting out and speaking to people and doing other things that were a little scary because it broke this fear based concept that I couldn't do things and um, so over a dozen years ago I I was first introduced to Wayne Dyers who actually said that you can live your life fully to give to an an inspiring life means that you give up the ordinary and I chose at that time to give up the ordinary and then go into searching to find out who I am why I'm here, and to live fully and bring in the awareness that one day I will transition and I will go. And as I believe as an infinite being that I am, I never really die. I just change form. And that is why I'm chosen to talk about this topic today. And one of the reasons I'm here on the radio um, is to, to talk about living life from an inspired position, an inspired position. There's another type of death, and that is to let the old story go so that the new one can grow. This is called dying while you're alive, and that is is what I've been doing in my life, dying while I'm alive. To understand why I have the habits I have and the way that I do things means I go back and look at. Remember, we talked about the fact that we have an experience. We create a story from that experience. Then a belief comes from that, and that's how you're living your life. And to go back and look at that experience Not getting stuck in it, but looking at it, seeing where those beliefs come from, um, not being stuck in blame, just seeing the reasons that I have to understand why I may have dysfunctional behavior and to understand the truth and then take responsibility for your life and your actions from those stories. Um, You know that you have the power to change them and to rewrite them. That's what we've been doing here. You have that power to change them, to go in and look. I understand it, that it, um, it's different. It's an understanding is different from blame. To understand is to know where you came from and that you can change that. I had a client explain it to me in this way. He's an avid fisherman, and he said that I helped him see that his behaviors were coming from his stories and that to be able to look back at the story, he was able to change his behavior. And he related this to fishing. He's going out fishing and he's using the wrong bait and he's at the lake and he can't catch anything. And then he comes back and he blames the fish, the day, the weather, the lake, all the bad spots, bad luck, all of this on and on and on because he couldn't catch fish. And it would make no sense for that fisherman to keep going back and doing this. And yet we keep these stories and doing things that don't work for us and repeat them over and over again, expecting a different result. And when I explained that to him, that he was doing that in his life, he he was expecting this different result from doing the same thing over and over, that he had to change his behavior in order for the results to change and things around him to change. He said to me once, that is like you explained to me, I got the idea that I can take a different bait to the lake that someone would say to me, that's not the right bait for the situation. In this certain area, you're going to want to use this kind of bait. And when he was able to change his life, then he was able to, per se, catch fish. And because I was decided to look at these things and not sweep them under the rug anymore in my own life and in his life and become uncomfortable to talk about it, it put me in a position to grow and to really feel the joy that this life is. Um, to really step into the power of who I am as, as a creator. Now, I've also been able to look at my position here on the radio. So I am a healer and a life coach. Um, I can also uh, do <sighs> psychic work. I'm intuitive, very much so. And I also... I'm a master creator. That's probably the best that I'm at. I create things instantaneously in my life and other people's life. So having those skills, I could actually go into the concept that I could start by using those and and bringing those in. And there are a lot of people doing that. And I think that's great. And if you want to go out and find that, I highly recommend you go because you're going to find a lot of people doing that healing and, it's, and, it, and, and I don't have anything against it, but I want to say that I'm a teacher. And I choose to teach you to change your life, to take responsibility 100% for your life, to become the person that's creating your future. I give you the tools to do that. And I think of it as the story about the fish. I want to teach you to fish. I don't want to give you fish. If I give you fish for a day, you're going to keep coming back for fish. And I want to teach you to fish. Um, I release all of those trapped emotions through, through a method that is done through the schematic work of illumination to let it go. And then I give you the skills and teach you how to follow through. It's not a quick fix. It's going to take some time and it's going to take some work. But I don't want you to feel good for just a day. I want you to feel good for the rest of your life. Um, I'm about changing your life so that you can feel good forever. And down the road, you will have the tools and the skills to handle the challenges that come up. I promise if you follow the path I lay out for you in my Soul Healers coaching program, I will give you the skills that will inspire you to live an inspiring life where you can go out and help others live an inspiring life. And that is my goal. My goal and purpose here is to teach you to be an inspired human being that teaches others to be inspired in human being. That's how I believe the planet is going to change. We'll clear out the stories that keep you stuck. Together, we'll do that. Um, your life will change and you will become an inspired being living an ex- exceptional life. An exceptional life. The life you were born to live. So go to soulhealerspath.com now and start the journey with the serpent's path. There are four directions on the medicine wheel. Just as there are four directions in the book. Um, You're going to start with the Direction of Serpent, which is the releasing, the letting go. The sessions are done on phone and through Skype. We move through one session and into the next session. I have a special time one month offer for new clients right now going on. You can sign up for. And this is the journey of living an exceptional life together. So go to SoulHealersPath.com for that. Now, today I'm going to be bringing on Jen Koken as my guest. She has um, lived an inspired life. She had made some changes in her own life. She wrote a book that says, When I Die, Take My Pennies, um, which is about the life of her mother and the passing of her mother through um, dealing with ovarian cancer. She is going to work with us through humor to pass and, and be able to move through these questions that you may have to deal with in your life with someone who's passing. Um, and she's also an inspired life coach right now and she is helping people make an inspiring enlightened life as well so um, I'm going to take a break and when we come back from that break we will bring on my guest Jen Koken and we will continue our talk about having those questions um, and those conversations now thank you for listening and I'll be right back with you
2: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers, but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality, live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews.
2: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
0: This is Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with Christy Ellen. To connect with the show today, please call one 866 472 5795. That's one 472 5795 Or you may send an email to healingart.kp at gmail.com. Now, back to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden.
1: Well, welcome back to the Mosaic Garden. I'm here with my guest, um, Jen Koken. She is an author, speaker, comedian, and life coach. She wrote the book, When I Die, I Take My Panties. Jen, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Well, it says here that you're a comedian. So I was interested in that part for, uh, drew me into how did you deal with dealing with your mom with ovarian cancer and through humor?
2: Oh, wow. So many ways, but I think, um, you know, one of the things that mom and I did, one of the last, I used to live in Colorado, which is when I began to do comedy, and one of the last shows I did, um, I was, we were in the last throes of Mom's Life. Um, and many, some comedians are the kind that talk about uh, current events, like the Bill Mars of the world. And then there are those of us, like myself and many others, who tell stories about our own life to, in hopes that other people will find themselves. So I was nervous about doing jokes about ovarian cancer and actually called my comedy coach the woman I had learned from and expressed how scared I was and she said to me which is something that has stuck with me get more committed to making a difference than to being concerned about what people are going to think who cares if people are offended ovarian cancer is offensive
1: oh wow and i yeah. f- yeah, that uh, is great. Yes. To not, and to be able to live in that space where not caring about what other people think and just going out with a message that is, is a serious message, but actually being able to bring it to people through humor um, is a gift.
2: Yeah, and I, I thank you. I I actually wrote jokes with my mom. I called her and I said, "Mom," I said, I, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a couple jokes. Can I try one out on you?" She says, "Sure." I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, you know, my mom has ovarian cancer, and her doctor said they couldn't do anymore. So my mom went to get a second opinion. I told her to save time and money. I would give it to her. Well, what would you say? You're gonna die." And my, there was dead silence on the other end of the phone, and I thought, okay. Not funny, can't use it. And then she started laughing. She said, oh, that's good, that's good. Then she calls me back the next day, and she says, I thought about that joke. It isn't funny. I said, okay. And my mom also was a, an, an actor, so she could put it on when she needed to. She goes, here's what's funny, honey. We went to that, remember when we went to that really expensive store in St. Armand Circle in Florida, and I bought thousands of dollars of clothes? Well, I was going to leave the tags on so you could return them, but I'm not. I cut off all the tags, and I'm wearing them. There goes your inheritance. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, you know, <laughs> someone else tells you a joke, you have to ask the author whether you can use it. I said, Mom, can I use your joke? She said, absolutely, you can use it. And I did, and it got a laugh because I think, <laughs> like you said, death's such a serious topic. Uh, uh, finding a way to lighten things, not make light of it, but to lighten things is super important.
1: I, yeah, I've used a lot of humor in a lot, a lot of humor in my life. Actually, um, listening to the show, it probably wouldn't know, but I'm, I'm very humorous and I'm, I'm a, I'm a smartass in my family, and I always come up with these, these, these things, and they, they'll say you can't say that, and I'm like, well, I did, and it helped me <laughs> through my transition of getting divorced and stuff too. I told people I'm going to win the lottery when <laughs> I went to my. To my settlement, I'm going to go win the lottery. And they came back and they said, "How was I? I?" "Go well." The lottery was a little small this time. <laughs> Somebody else <laughs> got there first. <laughs> it's okay. And it's just a matter of just being able to not take yourself so serious, because really, really, it's just we're going through life, and and then we're going to end up out of it. So yep. it it to to be serious is 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 something that just seems a little crazy to me.
2: Yeah, and yeah. you've hit on something so important, that access to not being so ser- serious is to not take things personally.
1: Yeah. The practice yeah, of
2: I, not taking... Yeah, go ahead.
1: There was, a, there was a woman, I'm trying to think of her name, she's a, a psychiatrist who does humor, and she said... Um, it's about the party pants. So when you're talking about the pants, have you, I don't know if you've heard of her, but she was humorous about don't die with your party pants on. So when you said, when I die, take my panties, um, She, she, her her thing was about these pants. Her parents had given her these little girl frilly pants. If you remember the frilly kinds way back, I can remember that time. Yep, but she yep. couldn't only wear them for special occasions. So she still had them, and she would show people, here's my panties. I've never worn them. And she'd say, you got to just let life go and not be so serious about the towel in the bathroom that you don't touch because it's for special people that obviously aren't your family because they're not special enough to use it, right? <laughs> because you tell them this is yeah. for special people. <laughs> and that's when well, the humor started changing for me. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And it's funny, my book title, you know, originally the title of the book was <clears throat> My Beautiful Life, My Beautiful Death." And I uh, was pitching an agent. She looked at me and she said, "Jen, we don't need any more cancer memoirs. We really don't." Mm-hmm. She said, "You've got to figure out a way to lighten this up." And the title actually comes directly from my mom. I was with her. You know, it was about a month before she died. A couple weeks before she died, and she was a very pragmatic person. We were going through her things. Certain a dress she wanted me to have, a shawl she wanted me to have, some earrings. Then she opens this drawer full of beautiful lingerie and she said you have to take my panties do not let ed throw those away that's my stepdad do not let him throw them away and goodwill won't take them this is an expensive drawer (laughs) take (laughs) these and wear them and the funny part is they're hanky pankies which are the most comfortable song underwear in the world i know we weren't set to do a show on underwear but there you go and (laughs) and i wear them and you know i couldn't get the vision of my mom's 71 year old butt out of my head and, and now neither drawer. can you. <laughs> That's great. And the my one, other and yeah, do I don't I, my
1: mom's patty drawer. I don't I don't think I'd want my mom's patty drawer. They're they're not gonna yeah, they're the kind that go clear up to your chest. Right. <laughs> one that holds <laughs> that your breast is. up at the same time as they're holding yeah. everything in, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yes. So what was your purpose for writing this book?
2: Well, you know, the book wrote me uh, When my mom passed away in 2011, I actually picked up my roots in Colorado. I grew up on the East Coast but have been out there for a number of years and moved back east to take a job, uh, moved back from the mountains to downtown Washington, D.C. It's what I call the perfect storm. I really never, you know, they tell you when something, a stressor like this happens, don't. Like, don't add other stresses. Well, I moved, Mm -hmm. and I left all my support system back in Colorado, and I moved from the mountains, which for me are a very spiritual, connected place, mountains or water, to city, and um, took a job that was having me work, you know, 90 hours a week, and I hated it. And so I left the job and went to move in with one of my friends and uh, would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and just had to write to process the grief because I hadn't taken time to process my grief about my mom passing away. And so within seven months, I had the book written. And then it was a crisis of confidence. Am I a good enough writer? Is, will people want to read this message? And thankfully, I had a couple of champions who wouldn't let me talk myself out of it. And you know, seven rewrites later, finally published it and self-published it back in June, but was doing so well with sales, a traditional publisher picked it up. So we'll be re-releasing it this June and they'll be the ones to get it into brick-and-mortar bookstores and airport bookstores. I wrote it for me initially.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, Uh, But I also wrote it for my mom because I said to her, I want your death to make as big of a difference as your life did. She was a teacher. She was a principal. She taught tap. Um, She was oh, and she never said a bad word about anybody. People loved and adored her. I love and adore her. You know, she was just a loving, loving human being. And, I, and I, I didn't know anything about ovarian cancer. Neither one of us did.
1: Um, okay. Like many, your, your family didn't have that no. in, your, in your... Okay.
2: We had, my great-grandmother died of breast cancer. My mom had a first cousin, a male, who had breast cancer, but we didn't know the connection, which is still very small, between the BRCA gene, which is a particular gene you can get tested for, and if you're positive, you have a higher susceptibility for breast and ovarian cancer. Or the fact that Ashkenazi Jews, one in forty, are more likely to get ovarian cancer, whereas in the general population, it's something like one in three hundred and forty-five.
1: Oh, because
2: for so long we married each other because we wanted to stay within our religion, you okay. know, kind of like West Virginia, but not really.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so um, God, there's so many questions here that I'd like to to ask about that because so you didn't know that ovarian cancer ran in your family. Um, and then what would you like to share with people about taking that part of their life seriously about finding out what's going on? Cause I, I come from a family. It's just like they don't go to the doctor and, and as long as they don't know what's there, it's better to not see things. And I personally started realizing that I needed to see things. I needed to know what was going on so that I could do something about it.
2: Is there a message in
1: that?
2: Yep. If you're going to remember anything, remember this acronym BEAT, B-E-A-T. So if any of your listeners out there, females or somebody who knows a female, which is the rest of the population, has any of these symptoms for more than two weeks, it is likely, and you want to go to your doctor to check this out, the early stages of ovarian cancer, B for bloating, uh, e, for eating, meaning you your appetite gets diminished or you feel very full after eating or you feel full too quickly, okay? Mm-hmm. A, abdominal pain, and then, um, see, now you got me because I don't have my card in front of me, which I always do, yeah, and okay. for T, trouble with your bladder, so T would be trouble nice. with your bladder or urination. You're, you're urinating more frequently, um, you wake up in the middle of the night more often, so B for bloating, E for eating, A for abdominal pain, and T for trouble with your bladder. What happens is those are, you know, symptoms that most women have every month. So how do you know? And doctors don't always listen to us intuitively when you're talking about intuition. We can tell when something's off with our body. And we have to be our our best advocate to our doctors and get our doctors to listen And then what goes from there is usually a vaginal ultrasound. They can test you for the BRCA gene. Um, It's not always an indicator. My mother was not positive for the BRCA mutation. I'm not positive for the BRCA mutation. I've done all the genetic testing, and what the geneticist told me is my mom was an anomaly. She was a healthy, healthy person. It was just kind of a fluke, or there's some gene we don't know about. So once you have those symptoms, and if you've had them for more than two weeks, you go to your doctor. They can test you for what's called a CA-125, which is looking at protein in your blood. However, there's a lot of false positives. So do the vaginal ultrasound. And because it happens most frequently with women over 66, the other thing you want to seriously consider is a uh, oophorectomy to get your ovaries and fallopian tubes out, because they're now, scientists have shown that, the cancer starts in the fallopian tubes There is now okay. being indicated. And potentially, okay. if you're someone like me who had uh, pre-cancerous cells back in 1988, a full hysterectomy. So once I'm perimenopausal now, once I'm complete with that life cycle, I'm going to go and have a full hysterectomy because that will greatly reduce my potential risk of ovarian cancer even though none of those other gene mutations are present for me.
1: I had a, a very dear friend die um, about 15 years ago of ovarian cancer as well. So how do you, um, how do you deal with, with, uh, with somebody who is deciding to do something different with a treatment? I mean, I had no say in what she did, but her treatment was a little bit different than I would have done. How, how do you deal with this as a family member and that their decision to um, take a, a treatment is different than what you would have done? How did you support your mother in this?
2: Yeah, well, I think you have got to empower the patient's choice. Having something like cancer, you have absolutely, the truth is, we have no control over life anyway. But when you're faced with a terminal illness like cancer, it is out of your control. You do have control over how you're treated. So, my mom and I really, there's three things I can say to people. Number one, deal with the facts when it comes to the diagnosis. That means, your CT scan, your next treatment, your numbers, et cetera, because that keeps the patient focused on today. That's being present. You talked about being in the present. It keeps the patient mm-hmm. present. It keeps you present. It keeps you focused on today rather than the end or the future, okay? Number mm-hmm. two, say everything, including I'm scared, I don't want you to, coupled with and I'm going to empower whatever you choose. That's okay. what mom and I practiced. There was a point where she did want to go for a second opinion, and I said to her, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think you should go. I think we should take the time to be with the kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and celebrate you. And she said, I appreciate you saying that. I'll call you back with my decision. She called me back and said, I'm going for the second opinion. I said, great, do you want me to go with you?
1: Yeah, yeah. accepting their, their choices is, is an important part. Are you afraid of dying?
2: Not anymore. I used to be before my mom was diagnosed. I did a lot of reading, Christy, in particular. One book I highly recommend, and I I bet you know about this book. It's called Journey of the Soul, a Case Study of Mm -hmm. Life Between Lives. Yes. And are you familiar with it? Yes, I am. Yeah, and that book so greatly impacted me, and there's been a, a, a sequel as well where this person interviewed, you know, regression hypnotherapist, began talking with people they would regress back to before their soul had incarnated or between lives and they corroborated what happened. And then I also began to look into the way I was raised, which was through Judaism, um, what my faith would have said to me, because like you, nobody talked about death in my family. My grandpa died when I was six. My mom was very, uh, she took the time to plan everything out down to the penny. She had everything planned. The one thing She didn't have a plan, which was to place her obituary. We actually forgot to do and did it the next day. Everything else was planned to the T because she didn't want us to have to deal with, does mom want to be buried in this, or is she going to be in a shroud that's traditionally Jewish? Does she want you know, uh, a certain kind of casket, or does she want to go traditional? What's happening? So she had decided all of that, and watching her deal with her end with such grace and such dignity inspired me, and I am now not afraid of death. And I'll say one final thing, which is, in Judaism, while we do believe in heaven and hell, what we really focus on, there's not a lot of mention in the Torah about that, what we focus on is how we live life now, tikkun olam. Our job is to repair the world. Our job is to live for today, this moment. How do we impact people in this moment, during this lifetime, and when we die, the soul and body separate. So the body goes back into the ground from whence it came, and the soul returns to heaven, to God.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know when my um, girlfriend passed, she planned everything, and she planned a party. She didn't want a funeral. She had this beautiful party, and she she's with her husband. she planned her whole funeral and the headstone and everything. And it was uh. such a different... Um, passing than what I went through here with my dad recently and um so I decided that it was time for me to talk to my children about where I wanted to go and what I wanted done with my body after I died and they were a little uncomfortable with it but then it, it became that we started we started joking about it we now so we're going to talk about humor a little bit you know in the stress of my dad's passing there was some humor my My uh, stepmom didn't want to pay to have him transferred up to where he was being buried. And so we had to rent a van to take him. Yeah, and my brother, he didn't want to rent a van. He wanted to take my dad's old van and put him in and transport him up there. And well, I was saying, you know, what happens if you get pulled over or you you break down on the highway and here we are waiting for the body and it's somewhere else on the road. And we laughed till we cried over this scene. It may not sound funny, but it was humorous. It was like, you well, want to do what? You're going to would- put him in a van? And and what, what happens if it breaks down? I, I can just <laughs> see the policeman's face if he comes over and you're like well i've got my dad in the back of this in his cas- casket and then then to rent the van we had to go in and we didn't want to tell them that we were going to put a coffin in this van so we're looking at it we're measuring it with a measuring thing to see how long it is and we're taking the seats out we're saying can you give us this van with no seats it was actually pretty humorous
2: the, well, here's the, my question was your brother able to take any hov lanes because your dad was in the back <laughs> he could
1: have. We joked about that, and we laughed about that, and and you know anyone sitting around would have thought, well, you know oh gosh, and we're like, this is this is so ridiculous, and we got to put him in a van, and we had to take him up there, and you make sure you're there on time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and um, and yeah, so we we do have humor in my family. My dad was not a man of humor, but my brothers and sisters, and I, and so to to laugh about that. So tell me, did the background of your comedy? help you and your life coaching help you during this time?
2: Oh, so much, so much so. It was just incredible because I was, you know, as a life coach, you know this, you're always uh, working on yourself. And by work, I don't mean hard work. I mean, you're always looking to uncover, unconceal, discover aspects of yourself that leave you disempowered. And so I remember... Before the final year of my mom's life, I was uh, in a course and, you know, I would take courses as well as lead them. And I had this amazing realization that I was waiting for my mom to die. I was like holding my breath in so many respects, waiting for when the end was going to come, which left me not only disempowered, but tense, upset, worried, and not fully present to the gift and the joy of all these moments that I was having with her and I was able to talk to her about that and share that with her and in me sharing that she could see where she'd been holding her breath kind of waiting to see what the doctor would say instead of living every moment as I like to say living every day as if it's your first Mm -hmm. and that's important for anybody whether they're dealing with a, a terminally ill loved one or not I mean when someone gets a terminal diagnosis it makes you sit up but don't wait for that live every day like it's your first what does that mean focus on this moment and this moment and this moment what difference are you going to make what can you say to uplift somebody else what can you discover about your husband or wife that you've been married to for 25 years and you think you know them Mm -hmm. yet if you were living every day like your first perhaps you'd find something really sweet about their personality that you hadn't noticed before.
1: Yeah, yeah. To live fully present in the moment, I think that is a good example of what that is. So it is okay to laugh when times are tough.
2: You have to. That allows the body to, you know, so you know this too, that when you are grieving, when you're angry, when anything happens to you, the body stores that energy. Your cells have memory. So you're storing that energy. So if you're tense, that is somewhere in your body. One way to release that is laughter. One of the best ways to release that is laughter. Sometimes you're angry and you want to sit with that anger. And for women especially, we hold anger in our hips and in our jaws. So what's really important, if we're angry, you wake up in the morning, you're angry, something happens, you're angry, find a chair to beat on or roll over in bed and hinge from the hips and use your fist to beat your pillow so you have that hinging Uh, momentum that allows your hips to release that energy and silent scream into your hands and into that pillow to release that tension energy from your jaw.
1: Wonderful. Great. Great things to practice and to bring in. I do want to mention that it is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And so that we want to bring attention to, to looking at that as well and, and uh, to go in and have those, those tests done that need to be done. Jen, tell me about um, where people can go and find out about your book and, and the coaching that you do.
2: Great. Thanks for, for asking. Uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. You can also walk into any of your local bookstores and ask them to order it for you. They won't necessarily have it on the shelves. Um, they all, you also can find out about the book, about me, my life coaching, speaking, that sort of thing on my website, which is simply jencoken.com, jencoke
1: com. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Well, I, I'm so glad you could take the time to come and be with us today. I'm excited about the new things that are happening in your life that your book will be out and, and you can find it at the airport and in these in these bookstores. It's um you, you are an inspiration to the healing practice of the world, and I'm so glad I got to meet you and, and have you here on the show. So I want to remind you, um, listeners, to go to JenCoken.com to learn more about her. So, Jen, do you have a message you'd like to leave with my listeners before we end today?
2: First, I just want to say thank you to you. This radio show is so important to have, and you're the perfect person to be Leading it to be leading the way and creating space for all these conversations. I think the most important message to leave with all of your listeners is simply this live every day like it's your first.
1: Wonderful. Great message. And um, I hope to see you again soon. I think we'll see each other at a Quantum Leap. We're actually both part of that program, the Quantum Leap program, which is how we we met. Yeah, great. Awesome Great program. program to be part of, and uh, I look forward to um, reading more of your book and to actually see you in person and to laugh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> laugh. Laughter, the best medicine, they say, which is true. That's that's right. <laughs> okay, Thanks, th- thank you, Jen, for being here. So we're going to um, do a little something different um, than the meditation because we go into a meditation and the program. Um, I'm going to have you go into meditation state, and then I'm going to read something to you that you may relate to um, about letting go and being free and to becoming those divine beings that you are here intended to be. I want you to come and sit back, put your feet on the ground as we, we do in our meditation state, grounding yourself, bringing in the breath through the top of your crown. Enter your solar plexus, allowing your belly to move forward with the air as you inhale and as you exhale, bringing in that divine love and light, bringing up from the earth that feeling and love that's coming in from being part of this earth and being connected to Great Spirit, very important parts of who we are. And as you sit in this meditation state, I want to share a reading with you that I feel that somebody out there really needed to hear today. There once was a small, beautiful bird in a golden cage. Her master gave her everything she wanted as long as she agreed to stay in the cage. She begged to fly free into the blue sky, to soar into the softness of the white clouds. But he told her it was dangerous. Those other birds would eat her. He asked her why she could not just be grateful for the things she was given. He gave her everything, and he kept her safe inside the cage. He told her that no one would love her, not the way that he loved her. After all, he gave her food and water and a dry place to lay her head. What could she want more, and what more would anyone want, he asked. But the little bird longed for more. Something inside said that there was more. Oftentimes she would perch herself on a small twig in her cage late at night and cry. She cried into the silence of the night as not to awaken her master, for he would be angry at her tears, calling her ungrateful and attacking her in places that only she would know. "'Places where the blood would not show, "'a secret place where the pain was so deep "'she could not breathe. "'She felt that she would die from a broken heart. "'His words were like sharp knives "'cutting through her very soul, leaving nothing behind. "'So she hid her head in her wings "'and she cried alone in the night. "'After much persuasion, her master opened the cage "'and he let her fly around the room. "'She could not go outside, She could not. See, "'but she could see the bright sun "'and the blue of the sky through the window.' Oh, that beautiful blue sky and those white fluffy clouds. They would call to her. Come, they would say. Come and fly with us. She so longed to be free and feel the wind under her wings. She closed her eyes and she pretended she was soaring high into the softness of those clouds. How would the wind feel as it crest her wings? Would she soar and loop and flap and flutter and breathe? Oh, yes, dear God, could she breathe as the sun warmed her with its strength? The dream was shattered as she heard her master's voice. You can never fly with other birds, you belong to me, he would laugh. You are not like other birds, your wings are not strong enough, you are small and weak. Other birds will laugh at you, those other birds will hurt you. Come to me, little bird, I am the only one that wants you. And he would put her back in the cage, and alone she would sit in the dark and wonder if he were right. After all, she was not a young bird anymore, and she was small. She had watched the other birds fly from the window, and they looked so very big so very, very big, so beautiful, and so free, and yes, so free, and again the longing to fly and feel the wind under her wings. And a sweet voice inside her whispered, Fly, little bird, fly, overtook her. Often when her master was gone, she would perch herself on the windowsill and watch the other birds fly, and one day a big crow stepped on, stopped on the sill and spoke to her through the glass. At first the little bird was afraid, but as he spoke, his words touched her heart. Oh, little bird, he said, you look so sad. Why don't you come out and fly with us? Oh, how I'd love to fly, but the winds, winds, my wings are so small, and I have been inside this cage for so long, I'm afraid I've forgotten how to fly. The wise old crow looked long and hard at the little bird. Yes, he said, your wings are smaller than mine. But it's not the size of the wings that make you fly. It's the faith that you have in the wind, for the wind will move you, and you, you must, all you must do is flap your wings. Just keep flapping without stopping, and you will surely fly. The little bird thought on this for days, and when she sat in the cage at night, she thought, and when her master was gone during the day, she thought, and she thought, and she thought, could the old old crow be right? Could she trust the wind would help her fly? Would her wings hold her up as she, as she, if she just kept flapping them? Each day, the crow would return and talk to the little bird. He told her of places far away of rivers that glistened in the sunlight, of mountains so high that they touched the sky and the smell of the ocean and the sound of rustling leaves in the trees, the crisp autumn air and the bright, bright white of the snow. She asked him about the dangers of other birds, bigger and meaner. Would they eat her? He told her, yes. There were dangers and other birds might try to eat her and that she could stay safe inside her cage forever. She could never know what it felt like to soar towards the sun and swoop down through the meadow or lilies, or wet her beak in the mountain stream, or just perch on the tallest branches of a pine tree as the sky filled with the golden-orange glow of a setting sun. She could never sing to the dawn of a new day. Yes, she could stay safe inside, or she could soar free. It was her choice. The little bird felt something happen inside. It was as if her chest were expanding, and she thought a lot about flying. And when she did, she felt happy, and she found herself singing softly. as She looked towards her, her visits with the wise old crow. She tried to tell her master how she was feeling, and he only got upset and said it was not wise for her to go out of her cage, and he stopped allowing her to fly around the room. As the little bird sat in a cage, she remembered what the wise old crow had told her, and her heart still longed to fly free. One day, her master left the cage door open, and she flew out into the room. It felt so good to stretch her wings again, and she saw something, something that made her heart jump. She was excited and afraid at the same time. It was a sliver of golden light. It was small, but it was there, and it shone on the floor. It called to her, and she flew closer just to see where the light was coming from. It was from the door. The door was open just a crack, but it was open. It was a small crack, but so was she, and she squeezed herself outside the crack into the golden light. The warmth of the sun felt so good, and she realized she was out. Oh, my, she said. "I have done. What have I done? My master will be angry with me if he finds me outside of my cage. No, not just outside of my cage, but outside of his house. And for a moment she thought of slipping back inside. But before she could do so, she heard a sound behind her. It was a sharp caw, caw, and to her surprise, there was the wise old crow. Come, come, he cried, come and join us. Come, little bird, and fly free. Fly into the blue sky and the soft whiteness of the clouds. And so the little bird poked out her chest and flapped her wings. And to her great joy, the wind lifted her up, and she was flying flying higher and higher and higher towards the sun into the clouds and the blueness of the sky. That sweet, sweet blueness of the sky seemed to fill her entire being as if she could taste it. It was a sweetness like she had never known before. And she sang, she sang out to the sky and she flew and she flew and she flew over the mountains. And she dipped to touch the snow on the peaks and she listened to the sound of the brook as she wet her feet and, and drank of its pureness. The crystal clear pureness of that water seemed to wash her clean. And she felt new and alive. She smelt the roses in the garden and ate the sweet grasses. And she was chased by other birds. And she flew high and low. And she hid in the holes of rocks. And she soared and she soared and breathed in the joy of the morning. She was so many things. She saw great walls and oceans and never seemed to end. People of all colors and sizes heard strange languages and smelt food of all kind. She grew and her wings became strong. And she sang the song of happiness as She flew the little bird thought about her master and how she longed for him to be there with her that he could see and feel all the wonderful things god had brought into her life so one day she flew back to the house and saw him sitting alone looking so very sad come come she cried out come and fly with us fly free and soar into the blue sky feel the wind on your wings and the softness the white clouds yet he did not seem to hear her so she cried louder come come taste the sweetness of the world see all its beauty and sing the song of joy no, no, he cried, come back to me, come back to the safety of your cage. I will bring you food and water and I will keep you safe. We can all, you can have all you want, but you must stay here in your cage with me. The little bird felt sad, for she longed to be with her master. But she knew she could not be locked up in the cage, no matter how golden it was. Even if there were dangers out in the world, she would rather fly free than die in that cage. So with tears in her eyes, she waved goodbye and left the man in his sadness. She sang the song of freedom as she soared into the blue sky and of the white clouds. The beginning. It is really important at this time in your life that you are able to soar, that you are free, that you can move with the clouds. You only get this moment. You're taking time up from the time you were born into this world until to the time you will leave. And during that space and time, you get to create everything in your life, everything that you want. I wrote that a few years back when I decided to leave the cage, to soar, to fly, to become the p- person that God intended me to be. I asked that you... Look at your life. And if you are living it to the fullest, then I am very happy. And if you are not, then reach out. Reach out to someone who can walk that path with you. Go to soulheaterspath.com. I will help you create the life that will move you in to where you can fly free and soar with the beautiful white clouds of life. That you can be the person that you are meant to be. Because you have a song, and as I've said many times, don't die with your song inside of you. I know that my dear friend, Dr. Wayne Dyer's past, and he sang his song up to the very end. And when I listen to him now and know that he is still here, as I go and I re-listen to him every day and hear his inspiration, that will never die because he was willing to sing his song. And I'm asking you to do that as my friend Jen Koken is singing her song as every person I bring on this radio is willing to sing their song to get out there to create something different you too can do that because you have a message for this world and it would be a shame for you to leave this world without sharing that message and it's important that maybe you share that message with your family now before you go so next week I'm going to be bringing on Joanne Smith Joanne is a Salt Lake medium she feels deeply about her life, calling as a psychic medium and spiritual life coach. She is in the area which, uh, of Utah where I live. She has an inspirational story about how she was able to step out, go into doing something that was somewhat scary for her. She um, has this vision for the future, as we all do, and I'm going to ask you to go and write down What you're doing in your life now that is inspiring others. Um, A dear friend of mine had me write my eulogy a few years ago and then we sat and we read it and we read it to see what we were doing and what we were going to leave behind. Um, There will be a time that you will leave this earth and you'll make a transition. Where you go, I don't know. We all have different beliefs on that. I believe people go to where they believe. But before that time, Make sure you are living your life fully. Make sure that every day is like the waha yehu on the jet ski as I went over that wave and I knew I was alive that I was willing to be able to let go of what I didn't want to have what I want to live an inspiring life not a normal life. I don't want to be known as Abby, Abby normal. I tell people I'm not Abby normal. I am exceptional, and I ask that you look at yourself because you are exceptional. You are not abnormal either. You're an exceptional being. And with love and light, I thank you for being here. Go to soulhealerspath.com, walk the path with me, and listen next week to me and my guest, Joanne Smith. Namaste. May your day and light be blurred with divine light. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Welcome to the Mosaic Garden. Christy Ellen hopes that you will join her on another journey next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.